Hey everyone, you're listening to the BTN Group's new podcast, The Biz at BTN. I'm Elizabeth West, BTN Editorial Director, and if it's happening in business travel, you'll hear it here first. We're launching an audio series today called Return to Business Travel, where I'm going to talk with three travel managers around the globe about how they're managing the return to business travel after COVID-19. First up, we're talking with Michelle DaCosta, Global Head of Travel, Meetings and Events for pharmaceutical company Takeda. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. Great. Thanks for inviting me. Really excited to talk about the great things we've been doing at Takeda. So I know that Takeda has been traveling at some level throughout the COVID-19 epidemic. Um, Can you kind of estimate the percentage of travel that's been happening there compared to 2019? Sure. So our travel is down about 80% overall using 2019 as a baseline. And thinking about maybe what the future looks like, 2019 was a really busy travel year for us because we were still really working on integration of the two companies. So it's it's somewhat of a baseline, but it's probably an elevated baseline. And, and what will actually return to travel is going to be an interesting uh number for us and and something that we're trying to figure out as well. Yeah, for sure. And when you say combining the two companies, you're talking about the Shire um, acquisition. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So just thinking about the ramp up then, not necessarily a comparison to 2019, but do you expect that you have a lot of pent up demand among your employees or do you feel more that there's a travel reluctance? What is your expectation as you look to ramp up the program and ramp up travel? Yeah, yeah. so I would say for the most part, people are pretty excited to get back on the road. It's been challenging to do the work that we do, especially you know, meeting with patients and doctors and so it, it's a, such a, the face-to-face is such a big part of, of what we do. So definitely um, the expectation is that we would ramp up gradually. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing some forecasting with our business units, trying to understand because as we ramp up, of course, we want to make sure our partners are ramping up as well. So um, especially with BCD, our travel management company, we need to make sure that they have the agents back on staff and ready to go. Our preferred hotels have the staff back in place, cars, airlines. So it's a big it's a big production. And so we've gotten some really good forecasting from our business units. Um, and so we're really looking to gradually start to ramp up probably in the June, July timeframe, we'll start to see it slowly raising up. And based on where people can travel, so you probably see domestic travel more than the international, just based on what's allowed today. Um, and in China, it's really been business as usual for a number of months for China domestic. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I'm hearing from all of the TMCs and certainly to travel managers who I talk to who are based in China and manage China. They say that travel is really quite uh, going at quite a good clip. So um, tell me, have you personally traveled for business yet? I have not. uh, Definitely looking forward to it. I did take the airline clean tours that they had been offering. And so um, as a matter of just being in the airport and seeing the work that they're doing, it's been really fantastic. I had an opportunity to visit one of our hotel partners 
last week to understand what they're doing for meetings and events and the return to travel. So it's uh, I haven't physically been out on the road yet, but I'm really excited and I feel very safe uh, being able to do so. Good. So getting into some of the work that you've done on your program, um, it sounds like you have been very busy. Um, I know you mentioned BCD just a moment ago, and I understand that you've globalized your program then with BCD Travel. Can you tell me how many TMC you've consolidated over into BCD? Sure. So yeah, I mean, this is interesting. We started really the prep work of this RFP back in 2018. We were going to have the um, best, the, the really supplier presentations when the final travel restrictions hit. So they were set to start traveling to our office in um, Cambridge the next couple of days. And we had to move everything to virtual quickly. So there were, you know, within the Legacy Shire program, we had one travel management company for the 63 countries. Within Legacy Takeda, there were two sort of larger recognized um, TMCs but also a number of countries that had not been integrated. So our count had us around 32 that we knew of. Yeah. And that's not unusual. You know, that always sounds like such a huge number, but it's not really that unusual when you're a global company and every region has its own preferences and maybe working with more than one. Yeah, and it, it, it had been a five-year roadmap for Takeda prior to the acquisition of Shire, and I saw a number of 70 agencies. So in that time, they had really narrowed it down to so 32 is a really workable number, and then we were able to, to push that down. That's great. Um, so what were some of the, though I understand that the uh, process was in motion, prior to the pandemic, how did that change other than having to change everything to virtual, which I'm sure was quite uh, challenging, but how did it change how you approached talking to the different suppliers and what you had to talk about? It's really interesting because we were still at really the beginning of COVID as we were going through this exercise. And so I think you know, in independently, we were relatively naive. Little did we think that a year later, we would still be working from home and still doing this. So we, we were just taking this sort of business as usual approach. And this is, you know, kind of what we're doing. So we we didn't change the approach too much, because we just didn't have that crystal ball to see what was going to be happening in the future. All right, let's talk about some of the different things that you've put in place internally was um, the travel decision tree. It looked pretty straightforward. Yeah, and so one of the, one of the things is in, in, in travel, you sort of get into this role where people are looking to you for guidance. Well, what does essential travel mean? And we really spent a great deal of time trying to figure that out and talking to our peers in the industry and really specifically in pharmaceutical or life sciences. What do you consider business essential? What do you consider business essential? And how do we make it really easy for a traveler to figure out? So the idea of a decision tree, we borrowed from from, um, one of our uh, counterparts in uh, the pharmaceutical industry who had sort of done that. And so really then we worked on making it much easier for travelers to kind of get through this, hey, can't, because I think the two things that we really found were, okay, is Takeda okay with you traveling? 
you think it's essential? Does Takeda think it's essential? And who makes that call? It's not the travel team and it's probably not the individual traveler. So how do you go through that? Then the other most important piece is, okay, so everyone thinks you should travel. Can you get in? Can you get home? We spent like a lot of companies, our security team especially, really spent a lot of time just trying to get people home when everything shut down. And that that was a big part that really drove, we want to make sure before you go anywhere that you can get home. And even when we had everything lined up for them, it still became very difficult. You know, we, we still have stories of people spending six hours trying to clear customs in Japan. And, and so really it, the two things, right? Are you allowed to go? Is it essential? Does it really fit the definition? Can you get in? Can you get home? Mm-hmm. Those have to drive every decision you make. Yeah. And I did see sort of down a little bit lower on the decision on the decision tree document, um, you know, will your counterpart in the other country, are they ready to meet with you? Did you have the actual documentation that they had to show to say, look, these people want to meet with us. We've set this up. Here's the location and that type of thing to that level of granularity. We, we did. And we, again, we just provided the guidance to them mm-hmm. and, and we were able to anecdotally give them stories of people who were really sure. And, and then it was a struggle to get back or, right. you know, like, I think like every company when people on vacations that we had to support and try to help them get home. So really um, putting all the tools in their hand to make an informed decision and not have us be the one saying, yes, it's okay that you go or no, you shouldn't go. You make this decision, but here's all the tools that you need in order to do it. Right. And I do think that as borders open, that job may actually become more difficult. Do you agree? And what is your plan to address those additional complexities as borders kind of begin to open, maybe it's a soft opening, maybe it's not, maybe there's still some quarantine, maybe there's a passport, a health passport requirement. It seems like it will get more complex, not less. Absolutely. So one of the things that we did, we had a whole return to travel campaign and we did surveys with some of our, um, you know, pre-COVID more uh, heavy, heavy volume travelers and some of our executives. And then we also, though, because we had a great deal of people that were still traveling through the entire pandemic, so we wanted to get their account. What's it like on the road? What are you seeing? What should we know? What should we pass on? And it, it was interesting. And we used that to inform. We did a return to travel infographic and we did a return to travel video for travelers. There was a lot of apprehension if they weren't traveling, just the thought when they did have to travel. So the, a lot of these, uh, it, and we were really lucky because the all the collateral that we created really got prime real estate on our COVID-19 resource page, really at the top header, which is great. And it, and it shows the importance that it plays within our global organization. We now realize that everything we created is out of date. And so we're on to the phase two. So I know a lot of companies are just now creating return to travel. We're on the next phase of that. So we're refreshing the decision tree to ask better questions. Mm-hmm. Um, still get you to yes or no and, and leave that decision in your hands. Um, but then also the things that you need to be aware of when you're on the road and what to expect 
and how to manage. And so again, getting in and out as borders open, just because the border opens doesn't mean it's easy to get in. Um, we've, we're uh, manufacturing one of the vaccines in our Hikari Japan plant. So just getting people, you have to get the FDA in there to um, make sure that, that if the facility is, can manage it, um, get our teams in there from our global quality team. So what we learned is there were a number of apps that were required that they had to have downloaded in advance. Um, and they had to have a different kind of visa than what they had. So there, the, we had to speak to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So just one group, one travel group, it, it was a lot of work. And so we're using these anecdotally into the guides and the new reference materials so people really understand to have everything. And even when you have everything in place, you're still standing in line potentially for six hours, just trying to yeah. clear customs in a country or people not getting back in that actually live in that country. Um, we're seeing that too. So it's just arming people with as much information and resources because if something's happening overnight, they need to be able to call somebody in our group to get help. So really embedding all of those really helpful resources in these tools. Right. And it just occurs to me that it's such a great, um, such a great conversation to have now because not so many companies are traveling internationally, but Takeda is. And so what, what great insights to have from you today before most of us get started on this journey to international travel, if I can call it that. You, you talk about some of the different apps that are needed, and I know these are um, required apps by the, the governments to access the country, but you're in the process of introducing a roadmap. What were the key motivations for launching that map? It's always about visibility of the teams available to support you. When you're mm -hmm. on travel or you're attending a meeting or you're in one of our facilities, you have a support system in place. And so really the roadmap app for us is designed to be so much more than itinerary management. It's it's really the simplification of, of everything that you might need to know. And so we're in discussions with them now because we're still in the process of really building it, the, the full architecture from, yeah. from bottom to top and thinking about how do we get everything in there that you might need so that the health passes are a big part of this. And with roadmap, it's, it's not curated content. It's, it's somewhere else that content lives and we're just bringing it into right. one spot. Right. So we've talked about roadmap is really the, the house that holds the apps that mm -hmm. all the ones that you need. And so with each of the um, airlines and governments requiring different apps, we want to make sure it just points you to where you need to get that information. Our security team does a great job with our third-party provider, making sure that we have updated data on our internet. So this, so the roadmap app should point you back there mm -hmm. to, to get a lot of that information. But when it comes to health pass or passports or whatever they want, you know, the word I think health pass is where we're, we're landing now. Um, it's making sure that it's the most up-to-date information. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, it's also making sure it points them to a resource where they can get that. Because I think that's one of the things in, in our travel experience, the suppliers themselves, so whether it's the airlines, you know, specifically the airlines, 
they've been doing a lot of hand holding with our travelers and with mm -hmm. us. And when travel ramps up, they won't be able to do that to yes. that same extent. But mm -hmm. uh, just huge accolades, I can tell you, for our airline partners from our travelers as they try to navigate this. And so the idea is how can we take that intelligence, get it into this app or, mm -hmm. and or push the button and get out to our uh, global security operations center where they can support them and get them through this too. So trying to make this a one-stop and really so that they have an elevated, simplified experience. Travel experience was important prior to COVID. I actually think it is more important now. Right. And yeah. each part of the journey is really different. So you, you know, depending on if we're just looking at domestic travel and state by state restrictions, you can be in one airport, like a connecting airport. So you leave from one airport where restrictions are pretty high and everyone's wearing a mask, you're six feet apart, you're doing all these things. But then you're connecting in an airport where those restrictions have been lifted. So that yeah. second part of your journey becomes very different than the first part. The rules on the plane have remained the same. You need to have your mask on. But this is something that you don't necessarily think about, but you need to prepare travelers for. Because when they get to that first airport, no one has a mask on. And they're all of a sudden feeling very exposed and so it's preparing for all of those pieces along the way. It's a very different experience traveling now yeah. than it was pre-COVID or than it was even two or three months ago. I want to go back to that decision tree for one second, because yeah. one of the things you told me was that you are not a fan of pre-trip approval and that that will not be a part of the system, so to speak. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, because I think that is maybe becoming more rare. That perspective is, is becoming more rare. Yeah. And so for us, I, I think for Takeda in general, culturally, people want to do the right thing as long as they know what that is. And pre-trip approval requires an elevated attention to your email or to whatever communication method. And so you, if, if you're waiting for someone to approve something, it may not get done right away. And, and instead of putting us, uh, the travel team, let's say the global travel team in the middle of this process, I wanna arm you with as much information. It's your budget. You have to spend it wisely. You should know if you're allowed to travel. These are conversations. I, would, I wouldn't dream of booking a trip and going somewhere without my boss knowing about it and agreeing up front. And, and so really that's, we put the onus back on the traveler to have those conversations and make sure everything they're supposed to be doing. And instead of putting us in a position to police it, and then if a ticket doesn't get issued and they're at the airport, you know, I, I think I have been around maybe too long and I've seen the pitfalls of <laughs> pre-trip approval yeah. and I want to save the frustration for everyone in that process. We do have some countries where pre-trip approval is just simply the norm. And in those countries, we do have automated um you know, automated systems to sure. make sure that that happens. Um, you know, we, we did a lot when I arrived on the scene at Shire, there was a preacher approval and, and I was really quickly able to show that a hundred percent of the time they were approved. 
There was never anything declined. So what's happening is, and then I could, it was also really easy to show, okay, these didn't get approved in time and the fare went up. And so we lost money in, in these instances. I feel that's a really important conversation right now because of the number of uh, the capacity has been reduced. Yeah. Yep. The fares are higher right now and they continue to climb. And so it, even though you have negotiated contracts, you have everything protected, every minute you wait to issue a ticket, that fare is subject to change. It, it creates a miserable experience for the traveler. And in the end, the travel department typically is the one who takes the blame for it because yeah. something didn't get done. So I, I really like to go in all in on education and decision and allowing people to make the right decisions on their own behalf to go through and do this. We, we also looked at maybe doing some passive approval and we do have that in place and it's just a passive notification rather mm -hmm. just to show like, Hey, this trip was booked. Cause even within that, you know, you can still sort of stop the trip from happening. Right. So I like those tools better, uh, just a softer approach. And I know in, in not every company, it doesn't always work that way. And so mm -hmm. you do need, I'm just very fortunate that my views align with Takeda culturally. Right, right. Well, I think it's an interesting perspective and an educated one because you do bring up the, the notion of cost, which is a, quite an important one for managing travel. And I want to talk about that next. We, we have talked, and I think we've talked for an entire year now, about the, the idea that safety and well-being has eclipsed the priority of cost in terms of managing travel. And I think many companies have expressed that to me, though not all. And I want to get the feeling from Takeda about the cost of travel going forward and the priority that is being placed on cost containment versus traveler well-being and security. Yeah, I think there's a there's a way to balance everything. Mm -hmm. Certainly, um, budgets have been examined and right sized. You know, I know this personally. I I have a pretty large team, and um, our travel budget has definitely been been cut dramatically. But but cut in the fact that we're probably not going to travel till like July or August. So it was really right sized from that perspective. Um, but then there's also, there are two things I think that have really during COVID come to light. And I think that is the health and wellness of our people, the health and wellness of our planet. And how can we contribute to those? It's also, when you think about sustainability, the optics of travel, people, the employees see that. So if you make a change and it's a sustainable reason or it's a wellness reason, that is a tangible difference that employees can see. We recently did some sustainable aviation fuel purchases just as a kind of dipping our toe in the water of what can we do from a travel perspective to Kata itself. We're very focused on sustainability in our manufacturing plants. There's, mm -hmm. there's a much bigger angle, um, but that's not what employees see. What they see is their travel, their company car, so um, and their wellness. And just making sure there's been a huge focus at Takeda just with the wellness of individuals. And they've there's been a lot of resources put out for us individually. So I, I think the new questions are, you know, can I get there? Is it, am I allowed to go there? Um, is it safe 
for me to go there? Am I making the most sustainable choice for our people and for our planet? Mm-hmm. And so there's so many different considerations. We, we've seen that we can do business a little bit differently mm-hmm. through virtual. Um, we also really see we're missing a lot by not having that face-to-face and the the long-term effects of just staring at our screens all the time. Yeah. So I think there's a really great way to balance this and help people make the right decision for, for themselves personally, um, but for the planet as well. And are those things that you're going to be incorporating into the decision tree? We are looking at that because mm-hmm. we definitely think, and we've talked to, you know, Scott Gillespie is doing some really great stuff and we saw a prototype of his tool and mm-hmm. it allows in it again, I think the thing I really love about it and what it hits home for, for me or for Takeda is you answer a series of questions and there's, you know, algorithms sort of behind the scene that say, Hey, this sounds like a really important trip and you should take it. And that, that gives you something tangible to go to your manager with and have a conversation. Um, you know, can you game the system? Probably. So if I didn't want to take a trip, I could probably slide the levers where I want <laughs> them to, but it's pretty solid and it gets you to where you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. We heard from travelers, they really enjoy not being on the road all the time. We also heard from travelers that it is dramatically changing their ability to do their jobs. So I I think a tool that helps support, yes, you should be traveling or no, you shouldn't, or gives you food for thought. Like think about this in terms of the planet. Think about this in terms of your own health and wellness. And we've, we've talked about, you know, virtual that does that, belong in a policy? Probably not. Does it belong in a guideline? And I know we, I heard this from one of my colleagues in the industry, you know, if the, if the travel time is longer than the duration of the meeting, consider doing it virtually. Um, And so those are the types of things we're trying to bake into some guidelines. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do hear a lot about guidelines now that we aren't necessarily needing to change policy, but that we want to overlay guidelines to sort of rather than rather than just say, okay, I'm taking the trip. It's stepping back. It's understanding, okay, here are the decision-making guidelines. Now, if you're going to take a trip, here's the policy. And it's an interesting sort of layered approach that I haven't necessarily seen in the past now, but it will be interesting to see how some of this may evolve into policy and at a future state. Um, have you had your travelers develop new expectations for the travel program? I think that is an interesting question that maybe I haven't asked a lot of people before. Are your travelers looking for something new in the travel program that you need to deliver? I think they're definitely looking for expert guidance. They want a simplified experience. They want everything to be available to them. And that's our job to do this, to to use innovation and automation to create a simplified experience. It it shouldn't be so difficult. I mean, today, really, if you think I might go from, you know, Boston to Chicago, you have to consult a number of websites to figure out what it is you need to know. And then the particular supplier information, you know, what does the airline require? Um, Do you need to have a test? What health pass do you need to have downloaded? So we want to be able to just provide that. And I think the expectation is we should be providing that and, and rightfully so. 
that's our job. So um, it's, you know, we, we had sort of a couple of tracks as we, we did a number of, um, let's call them travel training sessions just to introduce the new TMC. Mm -hmm. But as part of that, we really did weave in some of our return to travel collateral in that as well. And they were so heavily attended to me, it shows me that people want to travel and they're in our our demographic, normally the people we want to reach, they're all traveling. So today they're all home. So, you know, we used to do travel training sessions, and you'd have 20 people show up if you were lucky, or two people kind of trickle into the room and maybe 10 or more on the web. And a lot of times it was people who don't even travel who just, oh, travel, I would love to travel. I'm going to come mm-hmm. to this session. We had over 7,000 participants. Wow. Um, we had to start doing webcasts and not WebEx and Zooms because we were blowing up the system with, with interest. So, but there's a thirst for it, but they also, there's a lot of questions mm-hmm. in those just about what do I need to know? So I we really wanted to raise the visibility of the travel team, the security team, we got a lot of expense questions. So they are a part of this too. And that's another piece we're doing a refresh because as we get closer, so now you, everybody knows, okay, there's a new travel agency. We're, we're in phase five out of seven goes live on Monday. So we've got almost all the countries changed over, but it it came to our attention from our executive team. They said, okay, you're going to do all this, but then by the time we return to travel, they're going to forget everything you told them and revert back to what they did before. So we're doing a refresh of that content. And so we're sprinkling in, here's the stuff you need to know about expense. Here's the stuff you need to know about travel and health paths and everything, where to find everything. Um, This has also been a really interesting time, I think, from a human trafficking perspective. And so we're going to, we've got one slide just to say, hey, you are on the road and you have an ability to change something that's happening. So here's what to look for and here's how to report it. Don't get involved, but look for these sort of unusual yeah. signs and here's how you report it. So we've got so much packaged in, but we we got so many questions during just the basic we have a new travel agency and here's what you need to know. Mm-hmm. It really helped us inform the second set of educational material that we'll be putting out. But but at the end, it's about letting them know they're not alone. They have a whole team of experts, the security team, the travel right. team, we're all here to support you. And I, and I think that that makes, it, it should give people some comfort because there's a lot of anxiety about returning to travel. Yeah, there is. Um, what are you most excited about in terms of the changes you've made to your program? And as all these teams began to return to travel. I, there's a lot that you've done. What what really makes you excited about the future and travel at Takeda? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely going to be a different program. So n- no matter what program you used before of the 32 plus that were offered, um, this is going to be such an elevated version of what you traveled on before um, and, and simplified. We have people aspiring to cure cancer and cure rare disease and save patient lives. And we want them to really focus on that. And so our part has to be easy. It has to be done without too much right. brain power. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today in the first of what 
I know is going to be a series on companies that are really ramping up for a return to travel. And uh, we will check back in with you as the program really lifts off towards the end of the summer and see how it's going. Great. And thank you for having me. You, you can tell the passion is there. I'm very excited about the work the team has done. And I'm very excited to get our travelers back on the road again. To everybody out there, thank you so much. Once again, this is Elizabeth West, Editorial Director of Business Travel News, and you're listening to The Biz at BTN.